Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. And welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. You know, each episode, I, I actually ask the guests what joke they would like to talk about. Um, and I tell them it could be a recent bit from their most recent special that they're really proud of. But sometimes um, they pick an early breakthrough. What I like about the, the latter option is, is sometimes the joke leads the way. Like, it's so good and so much better than the rest of their act that it sort of acts as a sort of guide for the comic's career. And that's what we have this week with Cristela Alonso, whose second special, Middle Classy, a follow-up to Lower Classy, premiered on Netflix earlier this week. We'll be playing the version of the joke, Hello, as NASA, from her 2014 album, Some of the Hits, but as you'll see in the interview, the joke stems from long, long before then. So, here is Cristela Alonso. You guys ever lied so much on a resume, you're actually shocked that they give you the job? <laughs> like, you lie so much, you want to have a talk with the company to make sure they're not messing with you, you know? Like, hey, psst, come here. You sure about this? <laughs> look at me, look at my resume. Do I look like an astronaut? Because <laughs> I'm like, when I lie, I go all the way. I'm not going to do that whole, hey, I type 80 words a minute. I'm like, fuck it, I went to the moon. And I do that because my sister is my fake boss for every fake job I've ever had. So when you're calling to check references, you're never calling a real company, you're calling my sister's house. And you always know it's crap because she's this 40-year-old Mexican mother of three, so every time she answers the phone, she's like, hello? Is NASA... Yes, with the shuttles and the rockets. Yes, yes, yes. Said he'll get off the bed. Yeah, she's the best astronauta we've got. Yeah. <laughs> she goes to the moon like five times a week. It's crazy. Said he'll get off the stupid bed right now. Oh, no, 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 I'm not busy. No, no, no. no I'm in the middle of a countdown. And then... Ten... Nine, eight. 
I hate working, and I realize why. It's because when you're a kid, nobody tells you that when you grow up, you're gonna have to work every day of your life. No one tells you that. When I was a kid, I couldn't wait to grow up and be an adult. Now that I'm an adult, I can't wait to fucking die. <laughs> Sometimes life just sucks. Come on, am I ever gonna pay off my Montgomery Ward's credit card? No. That store hasn't been around for 10 years. I still owe them for a VCR and a pair of LA gear I don't have anymore. Fuck you with me. I'm just glad bill collectors are not on Facebook yet. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, some of you got scared. That's the last thing I need to get a friend request from Visa. Comment on everything I do. Hey, today's payday. Visa likes this. I am here with Cristela Alonzo. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, So uh, I was realizing when I was listening to this joke that I picture your sister from your TV show. Like, I'm like, oh, it's the yes. same person. But I realized it, <laughs> a, a nice place to start is uh, who is your actual sister? Can you, um, what was your relationship with her like growing up and as you get older? So just so the audience could sort of picture yeah. who you're talking about here. So my sister's, uh, you know, she hates when I say this, but she's 11 years older than I am. And uh, growing up in like a first generation household, my mom was working all the time. So my sister really helped raise me for the first part of my life. So we have a very close, very sisterly relationship that's almost a little bit motherly, Mm -hmm. which I think is actually very typical in a lot of the Latino households that I grew up in, where, you know, it's the relationships, the the roles aren't defined. You're a little bit of everything, right? But Mm -hmm. I think that's true in a lot of close families anyway. So my sister and I, um, she has three children. And when I was in sixth grade, I started taking care of them on my Mm. summers, you know, off of school. And eventually I ended up helping raise my, raise them, raise my nephews and my niece because my sister and her husband were working and childcare was expensive. And, you know, so I moved in with them and that was actually the premise of my show. It was a real time of my life where I kind of just stayed there and helped raise my, my niece, my nephews and you know, when my mom moved in because she was getting on an age and she ended up passing away, like I was the caregiver of everybody. Mm-hmm. So the 11 year gap when you're a child is so it's it's just so big because, you know, yeah. kids at school are singing like the itsy bitsy spider. And I'm like singing hard habit to break Chicago because she's going through a breakup. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah, it's yeah. just the experience is different. But um, she was always my fake boss for Mm. every fake job I've ever had. She's always had my back, you know what I mean? So it's like that thing where, look, you don't need to have experience if you can make it up, (laughs) you know? So (laughs) that's kind of where we go. So yeah, so as you get into it, explain the real history before we get to even with the joke Mm -hmm. or even before you're maybe a comedian. Like, what was actually happening? Are there specific examples of what you did? Like, what did this actually look like? So... Uh, My mom passed away in 2002. I was living in Dallas with my sister and I realized I was kind of stuck. I, at this point, I didn't even want to, I wasn't even thinking of stand up. I didn't even Mm -hmm. think of stand up as a job, but I needed, 
I needed some work. I needed money coming in. So I remember I applied. I was a server. You know, I was an actor. I was doing theater at the before I moved to Dallas. So serving was really one of my go-to jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I applied for this Italian restaurant that was opening up nearby. And then I had another job that I saw, and it was a help wanted ad. And it just said office help. And I had never worked in an office. Mm. So I just randomly, I, I mean, a help wanted ad in a newspaper. This yeah, is yeah. how I found it. And um, I showed up and it was a comedy club. Now, I loved comedy, mm -hmm. but I didn't know that it was a job job. So I went in, I asked for an application, and I lied and said I could do all of this stuff. I lied and said I, I was so good at all of these programs and everything, like just insane. And uh, I instantly put my sister's name because she was married. She had a different last name. So <laughs> I lied and said that I was her assistant at her job at that point. And I just, I told her, hey, Julie, if this company calls, Tell them that I'm like the best assistant and that you hate to see me leave. But, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I got you all day, every day. So I got the job. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, I remember. So I had to answer phones. I had to create the marketing stuff for all these comics that were coming, the calendars and everything. And I didn't know what to do. The um, I had to answer phones for the ticket sales. And the first comic that I had to uh, work the weekend for was Mitch Hedberg. Wow. And Mitch Hedberg sold out so quick that I was just slammed with all these phone calls. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've never worked a phone with so many lines. Like, you know, it was just one of those things yeah. where I'm like, oh, my God. I I went to, like, a, an office depot and I bought, like, this printing software that, like, you know, the kind that moms buy to make calendars and, like, everything. I bought that software. I learned how to make calendars out of that software over a weekend, and I kind of got through everything. And the longer I stayed at the comedy club, comics would come by, and they would tell me that I was funny. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing is, is that everyone in my family was funny. That's the thing. It's like the people I grew up with, and I don't know if it's specifically like a Latino thing, but in my neighborhood – People were hilarious. We would die just laughing at dumb stuff. And I started doing stand-up. Wanda Sykes came in. She was headlining. And she had uh, Keith Robeson with him, who he mm. won't remember this. But he told me, you're going to end up doing stand-up. And you're going to, like, you're you're going to, I think yeah. you're going to do well. And I was like, get out of here. And then months later, I thought, you know what? Let's do it. Let's try it, yeah. right? And... I remember at that point I had moved in with my brother and I sat down one day and I started writing a joke and I was like, let's be specific. Wait, so I, I want to make sure I know where, the, where we are in this timeline because I feel like you've yeah. now cut through. So you started doing, you said, let's try doing stand-up. Yes. And is the joke you're talking about, the, when you're like, let's try doing stand-up, what is a joke? Is it, are we now, this is the first, we're talking about your first time ever doing stand-up? This is, yeah, this is okay, actually, cool. yeah. So, like, right. I didn't know what to talk about. I took a stand-up class mm -hmm. at this, uh, at the Dallas Club because that was the only way that I could get on stage at that club because sure, I was imagine. the office person. I wasn't a real comic. And um, this local comic, Dean Lewis, taught the class. And I had a graduation show. I did the show. And then I thought, I love this. Mm -hmm. Now I got to write stuff. You know, and I noticed 
that comics would do a lot of the same topics. And then they would get mad at each other because they're like, you stole my joke. You took my joke. And I'm like, we're mm. talking about the most mundane thing. Like, it's so possible to to cover it. Yeah. So one day I decided I'm going to try to write a joke that's very specific to me. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, <laughs> I like I literally was sitting down in my little notebook, like my little black and white composition book. And <laughs> I'm like, what's specific? What do I do that's specific? Yeah. And... I looked over at the printing software that I bought at Office Depot, and I'm like, I lie on resumes. <laughs> you know, like, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Yeah. And I just started doing it, and and I started building it out from that. Yeah. And that ended up being one of like the first big joke that people knew me for. So that's fascinating. So I want to ask about specific parts of that story, because it's like, yes. this is so... Clearly, it, this builds through, you know, your first Conan set that's in there. So, like, this truly is, like, the joke that is there from your beginning. It's, and it's interesting when certain jokes for comedians can be, like, their sidekicks in their journeys. Like, okay, have this joke. And nothing else is good, but I have this one. And they're telling me which direction to go in. But So, you, you're you a fan of comedy beforehand. Had you been to a comedy club beforehand? I had. Now, I had, uh, I had gone to college in St. Louis for, like, a year. And uh, Dave Chappelle was playing i want to say it was the funny bone or something and Mm -hmm. it was right after like half baked you know so and but i was already a fan of Chappelle, and i went to see him and again it was that was the first time i had been in a club i didn't know that comedy clubs existed you know because all the comedy that i saw was on tv you know so it was just kind of like oh this is what you do on tv but i remember again Thanks to the trusty old school newspaper, I saw a picture of him and I'm like, oh, my God, that's that's the guy. Like, that's Dave Chappelle. I went to see him and I thought it was kind of like it was like going to a concert, right, yeah. where you, you go. But, you know, it's like you go to a concert like I, I go see Billy Joel, but I don't think like, hey, man, let's learn the piano. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, let's just screw it. Let's just learn the piano. And let's become Billy Joel, you know. So that was the only time I had gone prior yeah. to getting the job. So it must be like you're working there. You're like, oh, comedians are kind of people. I'm able to have conversations with them. I guess there's no big difference. So you take the class, and if this joke wasn't in your first set, what were you doing the first time you did stand-up as a contrast, right? It's like, what yes. is, what even is that then when you're like, okay, time to do this thing I've never done before? So I actually have my first set. Like, <laughs> I, I have it I have it online and it's private. And my uh, the first time I ever went up was Labor Day 2003, I think. And every Labor Day or whatever, I, I on my anniversary, yeah. I make it public so people can watch my first set. And I remember, like, I do a joke about the game of life the board game yeah, and how is, like yeah. it's so not life at all like it, it, you just succeed so much in that board game that even the failures you're like i would love to fail at this you know so i did my own version of the like game of life where it's like you got a new car move two spaces oh you got a dui move back three spaces <laughs> you know it's like that was one of my first jokes that i wrote uh i also did a joke about like walmart greeters <laughs> Because, like, the the commercials always showed the greeter so happy to see you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you go to Walmarts in real life and they could care less. They're like, why are you here? Like, you know, so I did that. And, I mean, it was just my my first stuff 
was really like I would do that game of life joke now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I probably will actually now that I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) I had that, but I also I used to do silly stuff. Like I used to do a joke about how vampires are always very artistic. Like they always, they're always into art. They have play piano and stuff. And you never yeah. just see a plumber vampire, like a blue collar pl- vampire that's just like, oh, I want to suck your blood and fix your pipes. Like, you know what I mean? So <laughs> that was a lot of my stuff yeah. at the beginning. Was this your first joke you wrote about your family? Wow. Yes. That was the very first joke I wrote about my family. I just realized that. Wow. Where, did you have any, you know, like, I I assume at the beginning, you don't think like, well, one day I'll be interviewed by this or one day I'm going to be famous. So you don't think who cares about writing a joke about my family doesn't matter. But like, were there concerns? Do you have family that be like, how dare you talk about me? Like, are you just like, who cares? It's a hobby. You're just like, I'm just going to do it. You know, I think that my family uh, for the longest time couldn't understand what stand up was, Hmm. that uh, they were fine with it (laughs) because they I think that for the longest time, I think my family couldn't understand that anybody would go see me you know because i'm just like because i'm the youngest of four you know it's like you you can be successful you can do whatever but like you're always going to be that same kid to your family and i remember it wasn't till maybe five years into it that they saw a show they were backstage at a show in dallas and they saw the crowd (laughs) and i want to say that one of my brothers was like why are they here? <laughs> like, 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 it was so weird. And I'm like, well, because I'm doing a show. They're like, like, they're here for you? <laughs> like, it was just so, like, they couldn't understand it. And yeah, at I mean, that point, yeah. I had already talked about them. You know? <laughs> so like, And the thing is, everything I say is true. Mm-hmm. So they can't get upset at it because everything that I say is true. It's so funny because it does make sense because you're like comedy by nature. You know, there's that sort of conversational element. So they're just like, oh, Christella's being Christella. She's just doing her thing. And then you're and you don't realize like it's somewhere along the way you're you're working on this on purpose and that an audience is like interested in it. And now they're characters in a world, regardless, even before the TV show. But like they're like, oh, now people are come to hurt you as like the depository of their entire History. It, it's in, it, it's really insane, especially, you know, on a very honest note, my family grew up in extreme poverty mm. and we were always kind of overlooked or if we weren't overlooked, we were made fun of for being the poor people, you know, so we were very used to mentally, I think, to be con- we were conditioned to think that what we did wasn't very special, mm. you know, so it was like this thing. My family was all about survival. So Anything that we did, I don't think that there was really a chance that we ever thought that what we could do could actually be noticed Mm. and be kind of considered different or special. So it was one of those things where my family, it really took them a long time. And I think at times right now, like they still don't, they still don't react the way that I think, you know, you would want. The family, like when I told, like when I told them that I got a second Netflix special, they're like, oh, cool. Like, okay. (laughs) Like, okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, okay. Like, that's what we're doing. Okay. Okay. Like, like, you know, like I told them I got a new tire for my car. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting because it's like, you know, when we think of 
observational comedy or like observation in, in comedy we think of like oh have you ever noticed airplanes or blah 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 but like there is something about observing lives that are unobserved and one what does that mean to the people that are observed who are not used to it or not even thinking of it and and what it means to be able to do that and like i wonder what it is i think thinking about it as you were so much younger than your family being in a position where you were put in a position where you were observing how people were behaving like there is like almost like when you tell stories of your family it's like the view of a child seeing people doing things does that resonate yeah but also you know it's it's funny you know what i learned that really worked for me and by working for me means that it just felt natural was that the more specific i was that's the secret that I think to stand up that a lot of people don't understand. And it's not for everybody. But mm. for me, it's like the more specific you are, the more universal it can be. Yeah, You know, because what I started learning, and it came from, you know, from the joke, the the resume joke, is that the more I thought about these specific parts of my life, the more they kind of resonated and I remember like, uh, and I just sit down sometimes. I, first of all, I record every set I do. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where I'm at, open mic, theater, club, all of them. I have been doing that since day one. Wow. And I have been doing that because I love the evolution of a joke. You know, there's something, I'm a big Beatles fan. And like, I remember the first time I heard, uh, it was like 22 tracks of the Beatles and the evolution of Strawberry Fields. Mm. And you hear like the first, you know, like the first run to the finished product and you see that evolution. And that's what I love about writing jokes. You see that evolution. So I record every set because I want to make sure that if you accidentally say something different and it gets a laugh, you you have to go back and listen to yeah, why, yeah. you know, it's the why. and. <laughs> I, you know, I remember, like, I still, I go around, I, you know, I carry my notebook, and it's like, I and I love writing jokes down first, you know, and so I- So you're like, fully writing it down, you're like- I, I fully write it down, and I write, and I, I'm like verbatim, I, wow. I write them all, like, I, you know, I sit down and I just, I'm very specific, and that's how I started doing it, you know, uh, soon after the resume joke, I started th- thinking, like, what is it? about my family. Like, let's talk about what I did growing up or let's talk about something. And then one day Mm. I started thinking, it hit me that I was the person as the youngest that had to taste the milk to see if it was expired. Right? And I started thinking, I know I'm not the only one that had to go through this, you know? And it's that thing where I hated it. It was that thing where everybody, like my mom would stand next to me like, is it good? Like, you know what I mean? And You hated having that job, but once I wrote it down as a joke and I did it, I realized so many people were in that bubble. They were so, they resonated yeah. with it. They clicked. And that's when I realized you can talk about anything in your life because you're always going to find people that connect with it. But that's the thing, though. I think it takes years. I think it takes a while to understand and learn that. Mm-hmm. That in stand up, people try to be funny. And they try to create and make things that are contrived that they think people will laugh at. Yeah. But if you write something that's true to you, you'll find your audience. Yeah. 
There's um, a clip. I was I found a few versions of the joke, and there's one where you do it on Legally Brown, which mm-hmm. I, it seemed like it was. I don't know if where it aired, but it was a special that you did. Showtime, yeah. Showtime. So, and you're telling this joke, and it's it's wonderful that the camera people got it because they're shooting from the audience perspective, and there's just seemingly this is what the visual narrative is that someone is holding the hand of a person next to them and pointing as if being like, <laughs> this is my sister. <laughs> yes. or, and they did it. And yes. they, I was amazed. Cause usually like it's a shot that almost never bears fruit in that way. And it truly like the entire joke is told from the, like, as if they want to be like, do you see that? Like, it's, yes. it's, it's amazing. Cause you'd think this is like, well, no one's doing this. And also like you heighten it to a point, but it's like, Something about when you're doing it, it's like I, it's a wonderful version of it because they're so and and I think it gets exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, no, well, and, and that's the thing, right? I think especially, you know, uh, one thing I've learned in doing stand up, especially from like my perspective, because here's the thing: I never, I never wanted a TV show. I never thought I was going to get one. I mean, look, I at that time I had a crooked tooth. I was considered chubby. For mm-hmm. Hollywood, you know, I wasn't like the hot sex pot. Like I always say that with Latinas, you know, for so for a long time in Hollywood, in your twenties, you're like the sex pot, and then somehow thirties through fifties, you have to go away, and then you come back as the wise grandmother. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I never thought that I would ever have a TV show. I never tried. It yeah. was actually they approached me because of my set. Yeah. Because I was talking about my family, because I had so many stories, but that was accidental. That wasn't something that I ever tried to do. And it was that thing where, you know, for me, for me, it's kind of what I was saying at the beginning when we started. There were so many comics that would say, you st- you stole my idea. You did this. You did that. And I quickly thought, well, you can't steal my life. <laughs> You know, so let's write about my life. Like, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. never accuse me of stealing something if it's my life. Yeah. You if know? it's a thing that happened to you, you I can mean... be like, this is the time it happened to me. So yeah, unless exactly. You were also me. I didn't take it from you. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like, I, uh, years ago, someone sent me a video of a, a comic, I think in Atlanta, that was doing the resume joke. That And uh, they were like, like, they, they sent it to, they sent yeah. it to me. And immediately I was so upset. And then I thought at that point, my joke had been everywhere. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. keep doing it, dude. <laughs> like, you, know what I mean? <laughs> you keep doing it. Like, this is, you're not a cover band. Someone yeah, will yeah. call you out soon. And it, like, I never, I never heard of the comic again. <laughs> That's funny. You're like, what's going to happen? It's not like this person's going to get more famous than me from my <laughs> joke. Eventually, it's like the internet exists. Someone will be like, <laughs> yeah. also like a, a known joke. Um, so I want to go through each part of it because I, I yes. want, especially since you 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 talk about being interested how it evolves, I'd be curious to see what you remember. Um, so the joke starts with a sort of the basic premise, which you ever rely so much on a resume, you're actually shocked they give you the job. So, yeah. are you sure about this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are you sure about this? So, talk about setting it up. What what did you want to get across? That is a joke, but it's also a setup, which is nice. Like you're getting a little laugh on the way to sort of the bigger stuff. What worked about that? And also just when you're starting jokes, how do you approach the sort of first couple lines? So, you know, really, sometimes when I, you know, look, a lot of the jokes come from just normal everyday conversation, right? Like you talk with friends, that's why I have my notebook or something. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. And I write it down. Sometimes with that joke, for example, 
I literally did sit down and tried to write a joke, you know, and to me, I treat it like a writing exercise. Yeah. You know, it really is sometimes, you know, in order for for me, I believe that in order to, you know, to kind of find your voice, you just have to use it. You have to write. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's weird because I remember when I moved to L.A., there were some comics that would make fun of me because I always had a notebook with me. And they were like, you write down everything. And I'm like, yeah, who doesn't? Like, you know what, I mean? like, like, what? But that specific day, when I thought about the lying on resumes, I re- literally, like, in my notebook, I write lying on resumes at the top of the page. And then I make a list of mm. everything that I do. And I started making a list of all the jobs that I've lied on and the skills that I said I had. And then I make a list of like how I sometimes didn't know about it, you know, like, you know, like I remember writing, it never made it into the joke, into the joke, but into the bit, but like I wrote something about how like the first time that I heard what PowerPoint was, like I thought I could get it at a store. Like, you know, like I was just like, it sounds like a product, like I'm going to go get PowerPoint. So I wrote down everything, all the jobs, everything. And that was one page. Then the next page was my sister having been my fake boss for everything and what she says. And But the thing is, is that I started thinking everyone in my family has kind of an accent, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm like, well, OK, so that kind of helps, you know, <laughs> like what what job would be ridiculous to kind of like, you know, have this woman like do, you know. And, and, and so I, I kind of write it, started writing my sister page. And then the other, then I started a chunk about what jobs would be ridiculous for my sister to have. Yeah. Because I know her, you know. So then I started thinking, you know, like NASA. Like I immediately thought NASA because I'm a big science nerd. I love NASA. So I was like, oh man. I'm like, okay, what happens at NASA? So that like, like it's 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 really kind of like a bubble chart, yeah, like yeah, a flow yeah, chart, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, so what happens at NASA? And I started writing it down. Then I thought, well, a countdown. And then I was like, oh, my God, my sister counts down with like the kids, you know, yeah. and then, you know, and so and then, you know, because because my oldest nephew, Sergio, is special needs. I was like, he's the guy I'm going to do because I wanted to give a shout out to my nephew, you know. So like it was this thing where I started just kind of writing it out and I started putting these act outs together. But because I started out in theater, I knew how to do the act outs. Yeah. So I started acting out like, okay, so if my sister's a character, what would she do? And I and I would write I write down all the act outlines, all of them. Mm-hmm. And then or like I, what you physically do. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah, like what she you know, the line that she, the lines that she might say, you know, uh, this is the thing that I think that is so important in stand up, picking the right words. You know, in, in like uh we always say my friends and I we always say instead of car, say Ford Focus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like specific. It has, you know, like instead of bird, you say parakeet. You know, it's like it's that personalizing and making it specific somehow gets a bigger laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, so I I would do these act outs where I'm like, well, what can my sister do? And it slowly started evolving to where I'm like, okay, so if she's at home and I know that she's going to get after like go after my nephew, uh, what is she doing? Yeah. So she's on the phone 
you know, and I always say, listener, she's acting it out. Yeah, you know, so I'm like, and I'm literally like, like I, I hold the phone because you know, it's like the phone isn't this. It's like the it's phone rough, isn't yes. like you know, the phone isn't like the croissant in with your hand. It's actually holding As a phone, yes. you know. So I hold the phone, and I'm and, and I'm literally like reading off my notebook as I do the act out. And then I start thinking, oh, well, that's kind of funny. And then I'm like, well, she's not an astronaut, so what would she do, right? Like, if she worked at NASA, she would be like, hello, is NASA? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because she's, you know, and, and that just, and I'm like, oh, I love that. So I started, you know, I'm like, the hello, is NASA? And it, it's kind of, like, it's just, it takes so long to write it. Yeah. Like, I mean, for me, from the initial, what can I write about? Bubble, bubble, bubble. And again, I still like I record every set and I still have my notebooks, all my notebooks, you know, so it's really cool to see, you know, like my first notebook I had. I had tabs on my notebook where it's just like different jokes. And like it was to me, it's just it's a science, but it's a fun science. You know, there's something so exciting about, you know, when you see my the notebook, the first notebook, you see the NASA stuff. And then, you know, like 20 pages later, you see NASA again because mm. it's evolved. And then you're just like, oh, OK, blah, 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 blah. And then later on in the notebook, you see NASA again. And like, it's so fun because then you see it and you're and then sometimes what I I love keeping the notebooks because you go back and the stuff that didn't work in that joke can go in something mm. else. And there's a record of it. And that, like it's a reminder of, hey. It didn't work at that time or it didn't fit at that time. But guess what? Now you're in a different place in your life where you can actually write something different about that bit. Yeah, it's it's amazing because hearing you talk about it, you are able to get at a place by yourself, like when you're alone writing, that a lot of comedians cannot do. <laughs> they have to be on stage. Because I was thinking about how you wrote this joke because mm-hmm. you can see... I was I was like, if she wrote this on stage, I can see you writing maybe the part which gets to just, do I look at like an astronaut? People like that part. So then you're just like, oh, let me go back to the astronaut thing. And then you're like, and the countdown thing, I was like, she had to have the countdown thing near the beginning because that's like makes the most sense. Yes. And I found it. Uh, I found an earlier version where she goes, hello with NASA. Then you have her... You, you play just the yelling longer. You just go like, she's yelling at Sergio. And then, um, I believe then you just go to the countdown. Like, there isn't the astronauta part, and there isn't the, uh, she goes to the moon five day, uh, five times this week. <laughs> yeah. Is that, was that something you find on stage? Is that something where you're like, um, oh, I, there's room for jokes here, opposed to just sort of playing it as an act out? Oh, yeah, you know, like, like that kind of stuff. Sometimes, you know, when you... The thing is, I think that for me as a stand-up, I have to make sure that I don't get complacent with my bits, right? So it's always like, am I doing too much? Do I need to do more? The joke is never finished, you know? And that's the thing. That's why for me, it takes so long for me to get an hour together. Because it's like, the jokes aren't done, but is it at that point where I can feel like they're comfortable doing them? Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of times where I get to a bit where I, I like where it's at. And then I just, I intentionally start playing with it to see, am I, is it too long? Is it not long enough? What am I doing? And I like seeing that because there are happy accidents where sometimes, sometimes somebody will say something in the audience 
and I say something about the joke and I'm like, ah, the moment I get off, I'm like, I have to remember to like clock that. I have to listen to it to write it down, you know, but, but that's the thing is that you have to keep playing with it and know that, you know, sometimes it's not done. Sometimes it's going to grow. Sometimes you realize I got a lot of fat in it and I got to cut it down. Yeah. We're right back. More Cristela Alonso. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. And we're back with Christelle Alonzo. So you mentioned writing and you were like well what would be something my sister would say when you're writing and or performing as any as your sister or any of your family members what does it feel like do you feel like you know you have your 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 background is acting and some you know like do you feel like i'm her right now what does it feel like for you to like write or perform as her yeah i learned this from my mom and my grandmother um they're both like they were both devoutly catholic but they used to love to gossip all the time like they just like they were such like such catholic women that hated so many people and i would learn for like i think that's why i got into theater i think honestly like my mom and my grandmother would talk to each other and talk about people in the neighborhood and they would give each one a voice mm-hmm. you know and as a kid you knew they always use the same voice for the same person. So if you heard that voice, they're like, oh, we're talking about Roy. You know, yeah. like, what did Roy do? You know, so it really was accidental in that, to me, the act outs were kind of like just the way that my mom and my grandmother mm-hmm. used to talk to each other. So it's like every time that I talked to someone, and that happened in my family too, where each one of us had a voice that was assigned to us, you know, and if my mom was talking about one of my brothers, he'd be, she'd be like, oh, and we knew that he, she was talking about my brother. So it always made us laugh, but it was always, you always knew who you were talking mm. about. And when I was doing the, when I started doing bits, I started talking like my family talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was really just assigning it. I had no idea. I've no, Even when I started doing theater, I had no idea that that was a skill. Yeah, it's so interesting because it's like 
There's some comedians I talk to who, when they do characters, especially their family members, they're not themselves anymore. Like, they, like they're doing their mom's voice, and now they're their mom for t- 10 seconds, and they're sure. back themselves. Um, the example I always think of is when I asked Lil Rel. Lil Rel used to have a joke about his mother, but then after his mother passed away, he couldn't do it. He, he, it felt like he was visiting his mother when he did the yeah. joke. And, but um, what's interesting is, like, essentially what you're able to do is to take the character of your sister you already had on stage off stage on stage it's like it's 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 why it feels so organic it's almost like the private character you have that you get to bring to an audience opposed to oh i'm being my sister what is a character that would make sense that i can translate it's like oh i've already done that you're getting you're it allows it both an insight on your sister but also on how you characterize your family members absolutely you know and it, it was like it, again i think that also because of my mom she was so good at giving us each uh attributes mm. that you know what i mean like we each had our own specific traits you know that that apparently that that t- to us didn't exist with each other yeah, yeah yeah but like my mom always saw it with us that you know it's just it's so weird that i'm like how did you how did you come to this conclusion that this is what I do? You know, and she's like, you do it. Like, you know, like <laughs> my mom was a, a short woman. She was like five one. And my brother, uh, my oldest brother, Ruben, I want to say he's like five ten. And she used to make fun of him and call him like a giant. Every time she was like fed up with him, she would always say, "Oh, and there you are in the sky, just being dumb, <laughs> like oh, there in the in the sky in the heavens." And you know, and my brother Ruben would play along, and he used to call her a little fire ant. <laughs> and then he, he would look down on her, and he's like, "And you're down there in the little hill, like <laughs> like that's that's my family." <laughs> these are two people that are like nine inches different. In height. <laughs> completely but it's like so like oh my god like it it was everything <laughs> yeah the the you you mentioned um how you came up with like oh it would be funny to hear her talk about space stuff and say you know and i wanted to ask you about you know the joke hinges or there's a laugh you get from her saying shuttles instead of shuttles yeah. and i as a person who by having created a tv show i'm sure has had every possible perspective on how you're supposed to represent different people mm-hmm. thrust it upon you when you're doing a joke that hinges on quirks of accents like this joke or there's a joke in your new special about your brother's accent mm-hmm. um how how do you think about it is there is there a, a debate has it evolved i'll say this uh what i learned from my tv show is that you'll never make everybody happy and what i learned from uh doing my show is that um the latino community can be highly critical you they you'll never be good enough for everybody, you know. My family uh, grew up in South Texas. We grew up in a border town. We're like Mexican American. We're I'm, like I'm first generation. You know, I talk about it in my special. We're a mixed status family. Some of us were undocumented. You know, so it's this thing where I can only tell you what my family would do. I can't tell you what a Cuban family could do. I'm not Cuban. I'm mm-hmm. not Puerto Rican. You know, so it's like. I would get these uh, complaints during my show where people would say, we're not like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's why the show's not called Every Latino in the World, is it? It's called Cristela. So for me, I always say, what's the truth? Because I always say that you can always defend the truth. You can always be protective of the truth. It's not about exploiting. Mm. It's about being honest. And, you know, for me... 
like with the Chettles thing, it's like you want to make sure that you're establishing that she doesn't belong there and that it's all a lie. In that point, you're trying to picture this woman who doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know what's being asked of her, mm-hmm. you know? So, and that's that's my sister, you know? But it's that thing where you can't tell me that, you know, like my oldest brother doesn't have an accent or, you know, what have you, you know? I, and it really, you know, what's funny is that like that joke with my brother in the new special, I did Last Comic Standing and I did like, I did that Last Comic Standing uh, the year that Greg Giraldo was uh, judging mm-hmm. and I did the resume joke. And he gave me a note and he said, you don't speak with an accent. Why does your sister speak with an accent? And I was like, oh, because my siblings all grew up in Mexico. Like they all lived in Mexico for like a decade Yeah. before they moved to the United States. I was born here and I learned English off of TV. And this is back in like 2000 something, you know? Yeah. And he said, well, then write about that. Write a joke about that, you know? And, and you know, and... It took me so long to really write about it in a way that I felt like really conveyed what he was saying because it took so long when, so, you know, I loved Greg Giraldo, right? He was so gifted, you know, and when he said that to me about the resume joke, I started thinking, oh, but that's my truth. And then I thought, wait, but they don't know that's my truth. You know, it's like they don't understand my family. They don't understand the family dynamic. Maybe it does seem like I'm being exploitive, you know? Yeah. It took like 10 years for me to really understand. That's another thing in stand-up that you have that I learned with my writing is that sometimes I like to over-explain at the beginning to make sure that they understand where I'm coming from because I never want people to think that I'm ever disrespecting or not being, you know, true to whoever I'm talking about. So it's interesting that Greg Giraldo in Last Comic Standing was actually the middle of the resume joke to this new joke I have about my brother in my latest stand-up. So that's how I learned to speak English. I would sit in front of the TV and I would just watch the shows and just repeat everything I heard, you know, like the voices, the accents. So in my family, I'm the only one that doesn't have a super thick Mexican accent, you know? My brother, my oldest brother, he was born and raised in Mexico and he's got like that stereotypical accent, you know, like, like if a taco could talk. <laughs> like if Edward James almost met him, he would want to teach him calculus, you know, like... Right? You need ganas. So it was always weird because we grew up together, but it always sounded like we weren't related, right? Because my brother's like, hey, sister. Nah, but you want to go get something to eat or what? I'm like, well, we could do that. (laughs) Or would you like to see what's behind door number three? Come on down. It was him. It was that note that just like immediately taught me so much, you know, and that and again, that's one thing that I think in stand up is so important. You don't have to listen to everybody's notes, but if you respect them and they're telling you something that they don't have to tell you, maybe listen and see if it works with what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's an incredible note. Because what he's doing is he's just noticing where 
there's information he doesn't know, right? He's it's a comedian's note because he's like, I'm observing an inconsistency in this, yes. and you know he could be calling you out on it, but mostly just sort of like this doesn't make sense, and I'm curious about this, and what he's essentially doing is, and this is the difference between sort of like being funny and making sure you and the audience are laughing at the same thing. You're telling the audience what is what you want them to know about your sister, about like what you find funny about her saying these things, not what they might think for whatever reason, because these are strangers with their lives and their experiences with words, right? So like, if you just say the joke, right? Let's say you take out the beginning parts. And, and again, like I'm sure you would have evolved if you did this now, the audience would be like, oh, she says that funny. Some mm-hmm. some audience, but by the more you're able to convey who you are and who they are, then you hopefully are able to like we're all laughing at the same things. It brings people in instead of just sort of like laugh at a stranger because it's not a stranger. This is your sister. Um, that's fascinating. It you know, it, and you're right because honestly, um, you get so into your jokes and you get so into the material that you forget you forget what you're giving off. The yeah. information that you're giving. So when Geraldo told me that, it really was this thing where I was like, moving forward, I really made it a point to think about like, am I really trying to say everything? Am I saying everything that needs to be said? Yeah. You know, and, you know, again, it's like the like that line, the Chuddles line always got a laugh because at that point I was playing predominantly Latino audiences. Mm-hmm that all had a relative that they knew would say that, you know? And it was that thing where, like, it was like a shorthand, you know? So when Geraldo told me that, I was like, oh, man, it really changed. It really changed a lot of my perspective. Yeah, it's it it, it I want to harp on this point because it really is, like, the note that I feel like I would give most comedians, especially early comedians, more than anything else, which is, like, I don't totally know how you feel about this thing you're talking about. Other than you, you, you feel like the audience will laugh at it or whatever, right? Like, yeah. And when it's personal, and especially when you're transitioning from, I'm just Christella, yeah. the person who's performing in my hometown, no, I'm whatever, to like yeah. I'm on TV. How does how how does it then when you're like your audience goes from you know five people you know to fifty strangers to a hundred strangers to ten million strangers. Mm-hmm. The onus on you is to th- to demands more, right? It's like they they are more strange than the five people that mm-hmm. know you, and part of how you make it better is really thinking about: Am I fully conveying what I want to convey about these people, especially these people I care about? That's great. I mean, so like, did this? So you do this joke. I mean, it seems like you've had this joke for a while. Um, it ends up being on an album that's 2014. Mm-hmm. What are, it seems like it kept on popping up as this thing, as like the sort of like, um, how would I put it? This, um, as you evolved, it was there along the way and it helped you sort of guide you to where you're going. Were there other things that, you know, what did it mean to you, especially during those periods um, where you're fully forming, like what would be you as a stand up comedian? So here's the thing, right? So, uh, my stand-up journey has been very difficult. Look, it's difficult for everybody, yeah. right? So I started doing stand-up in Dallas. And in Dallas, I was one of maybe three women that were doing stand-up. Mm. 
And I was really like one of the only Latino, Latina comics. Uh, so in Dallas, I was a comic. I hung out with everybody. We would do all the open mics, you know, everything. Like we were a community, right? Then I moved to L.A., and I remember going to a comedy club and a booker told me, oh, no, you're a Latino comic. You can't play these rooms. So you have to go and play the restaurants and bars and everything and blah, blah. And I thought, well, this is weird. How why is it different now? What's going on? And, you know, it was this thing where um, I was getting stuff, but it seemed like I was getting it a lot slower. Mm -hmm than a lot of the other contemporaries that I was coming up with. So I ended up uh, I ended up getting busy with, on the college circuit, right? And I booked all these colleges and everything, like one of the most booked college comics of all time. And my agents at the time love money. Sure, yeah. So they just want to put me on the college circuit forever, right? Yeah. And then after a while, my agent at the time said, hey, uh, Conan wants you to submit for a late night spot. And at this point, I had been doing stand-up for 10 years, and I couldn't get anybody to pay attention to me for a late-night spot. Mm. So, you know, they're like, can you go shoot a five-minute set? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. And I shoot the set at, like, Comedy Magic, my home club here in, like, Hermosa Beach. And I submit it. <laughs> and J.P. Buck, who books, you know, who booked Conan, he uh, comes back, has no notes for me. Yeah. Except one. And that's like, can you do the resume joke? Can you do the astronaut joke? And I was like, I don't do that joke anymore. <laughs> oh, I was wondering that because it seemed like you had done it. I was like, okay, seems like. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I don't do that joke anymore. He's like, I love that joke. Can you do that joke? And I did it. But it's this thing, Jesse, <laughs> that joke, I only do it when people ask me to do it. And it's it's always been someone random from the industry that's like i love that joke can you do that joke and i'm like i guess i can do that joke like you know but it's it's one of those things where i it's like a party favor mm -hmm. you know what I, mean? so I but i did the set on conan and that immediately got the attention from people and you know people were saying that late night didn't do anything for comics anymore there was like i was getting interviewed for these articles like two yeah. articles can't remember the outlets but they were like you know, is late night dead for like, you know, and they would compare it to like the Carson Tonight Show days and stuff. And I said, not for me. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. So that late night spot, because it was so personal, because of that resume joke, because of what I was doing, that got the attention. Uh, like I ended up moving agencies. Uh, I got a development deal develop the show everything based off that conan set yeah it's just like it's a scene in a show and you're like you could see exactly as we're like oh that could be a scene right totally. it's like, <laughs> there's phones on television like it is just sort of like exactly <laughs> yes i think like conan especially at that time now like who knows what late night sets mean but like yeah when it worked it worked there are just sort of jokes for that were a mix of perspectives that felt unique and also and 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 not just like stories of like oh we don't have um a tv show about uh right Texas mexican family but like literally like comedic perspectives are like oh we haven't you know i think of pete holmes said we talked about magic and that white people are like that's new and but <laughs> if we just yeah. did the set it just did the set but yeah it's so 
I I remember you picked the joke. I was listening to the audio. I was like, I bet she did this on Conan. I just like, you just seems like such a good fit. Also understand, you know, it's like at that point, I had been doing the joke, but I had been doing it on stuff that people weren't watching. Yeah. So like, it was this thing where everybody, like when people would ask me to do the joke, it's because they knew no one had watched it previously on whatever I had shot. So it was this thing where I'm like, I had a moment where I thought, well, damn, like, I keep doing this joke. Maybe they're not watching it because of this joke. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, maybe there's a theme going on, you know? This joke, it's it's interesting because it's like, it's a shortish joke, but you're like, it's fun to see this joke now because you're like, oh, like, this is the seed of how she does, talks about this, right? There's like, you, you especially in your Netflix special, you talk a lot more about class in a way that I think a lot of comedians just don't do it. I think for one, because I think, you know, it might bum audiences out to hear about class or there's audiences like, what does she know about being poor? I, she's rich now just because you're a comedian, even if you're not, even if you're just like a struggling comedian because oh, yeah. you're on stage. So, Everybody thinks that if you're on stage, you get $10 million a night. Yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, now you are more successful. Um, what I think, one, what is your impetus to talking about class? Why do you think it's important? And sort of how has your approach to it evolved as you, you have found more success? You know, it's actually, that was actually an evolution coming from jokes like the resume joke. And just because you realized what I started noticing and it was like the resume joke. It was the joke that I was talking about, like expired milk. It was, it's this thing where I never knew what was special about my life because it's my life. You know, it wasn't until after the shows, because also leading up to the, you know, to like the pandemic, I used to do a meet and greet after every show for everyone. Yeah. And like these meet and greets would last longer than the show. Like, I would meet people for, like, two hours after the show. I'd take a picture with everybody because I was so grateful that people yeah. came to see me. But during that meet and greet, they would tell you what they liked about your set, you know? And what I realized was that what was special about my life, as seen by Hollywood, wasn't special at all to me because so many people grew up like I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it was this thing where the ability the decision to talk about how I grew up that made so many people react to it at the shows that they're like, Oh my God, you grew up just like I did. And that because the reactions I would get were so big out of something that I never thought was very special because it's just how I, how yeah, you yeah. grow up that I realized like, we need to talk about this more. I need to talk more about like my life and how my life is so special as seen by some, but not special at all as seen by most, yeah. you know, it's, it's so it was this thing where I started talking more about like the way I lived, the specifics. And also it really was, I'm really into, you know, current events. I do a lot of advocacy work. And then I started thinking the advocacy work actually came from my standup. Mm. It wasn't until I started getting asked by people to talk, to do speeches and stuff at different organizations that I thought, well, I'm just saying my life. This is just my life. And it just evolved into this thing where I'm like, I didn't think that a lot of comics were talking about it. 
And it wasn't like a a decision I made to stand out or try to stand out. But it was this thing where I was like, I had no qualms about talking about it. That's one thing. As a comic, I don't care who likes me and who doesn't like me. If I get comments on on the internet where they're like, you know, blah, 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 your opinion on blah, 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 and you're wrong. And I'm like, then unfollow me. Somebody else will follow me right back. Like, it doesn't matter. You know, my mom used to always say, I've been hated by better people than you. <laughs> Why was your mom saying that? <laughs> No, it's a great quote, but like, why was just a person? Because, well, no, because my mom was actually, she for a long time was uh, undocumented and people would just, they would treat her. Mm. They would treat her so bad. And she, every time that was like her retort, like, you know, I've been hated by better people than you. And I live by that that, that mantra because for me, it's about, hey, do you regret saying what you said? And, you know, again, in a time right now where people feel like they're getting called out by stuff, you know, it's like I always say, like, do you regret what you said? There could be a chance a day where you do. And hopefully you, you know, you learn better and you apologize because that's who I am. Yeah. You know what I mean? But for the most part, I don't say things that I'm, you know, that I'm going to regret or that I feel like I wonder, like, oh, how are people going to take this? Because... I'm at the point now where I'm like, I just don't care because I'm being honest and yeah. it's, it, it is what it is. So for me, it is this thing where like the class, the class talk is actually, I think, so important to have because class surpasses any kind of ethnicity, minority, anything. It's a universal struggle, hmm. you know, and that's something I think that a lot of people, um, I think that a lot of people that aren't familiar with certain like minorities can easily vilify them for certain shortcomings or short problems and stuff. But we can't deny that the ultimate problem is the struggle. The, like It's easy to blame people if you don't know them, but the struggle is the problem. And I like talking about the struggle. Because again, one thing I learned in my, you know, in my career so far, I'm pretty much the anti, the anti, like, every stereotype or assumption that people have from someone that grew up like me, mm-hmm. you know, the daughter of undocumented parents, you know, uh, they, you know, we grew up on food stamps. Oh, how dare you use government assistance, da, 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 you know, but then as an adult, I give back all the time. I love to give back to the country that gave me so much, that gave me the chance to survive, you know, and it's that thing where that's one of the reasons I like to be so vocal, too, because I'm like, we're not all like the way that you assume we're all like, you know, and it always goes back to money and to struggle (laughs) and to class. In passing in one interview, someone asked if you'd ever run for office. You And you said yes. And I was, I was not expecting you that you were like, well, after I achieve certain goals, um, maybe I'd run for Congress around where I, I grew up. Yes. And one, I want you to talk about that. But also, I can't even think of how to question. Like, most comedians, they're just like, oh, yeah, I'm talking about this stuff. And I like talking about this stuff. And maybe we'll talk about this stuff. But I would never, like, do whatever that means. Like, I would never actually, like, do the politics. Right. How's it all intertwined for you? Um, you know, to me, 
one thing that I think is very important to me is really trying I know this might sound grandiose and I don't mean it to be, but I don't know how else to say it. Uh, I really believe in serving the people. Mm. And I think that it actually came from, it comes from doing stand up and really seeing um, people that are affected, you know, and it's this thing where um, if you can do something, why not do it? You know, and because of the circumstances that my family grew up on, because they were so extreme, um, I have sympathy for everybody that has had the similar struggle or is going through it right now, you know? So for me, you know, um, you know, like DACA, right? DACA, um, uh, for those of you that don't know, DACA is a program like a, that people undocumented, um, undocumented, uh, Americans, as I call them, that were born within a certain number of years, they can apply to basically have a permit, to be able to work and go to school here in the United States. Um, I became a very big uh, supporter of it because after after my shows, people would tell me that they were undocumented mm. and they would tell me that they were on DACA. Now, to apply for DACA, whether you get approved or not, it's a $495 application. That's a lot of money for people that don't have the money. So sometimes I started meeting them. I just decided to do free shows where I raised money and gave all the money to DACA recipients because the money for these shows didn't mean anything to me. Like I could, meaning that I could survive without them, but it could change people. Mm. It could change people's trajectory for, for a while. So why not do that? That kind of thinking. And that again comes from my family. It's this idea that like, if you don't have a lot, but you can give something, please give it. Mm-hmm. And I love working in like the advocacy world. And I love being like, I love being in politics and trying to understand and try to teach people that change takes a long time. And we can't be so cynical all the time, even though we try to be cynical. And I know it's easy to be cynical. We also have to celebrate that one time that that 1% change happens because change is like losing weight. You know, it takes a long time to lose the weight that you gained, you know? And for me, I started thinking about what I could do. And I always told myself running for office, if it was something that I felt I could help with, if it was something that the community thought that I could do, that I could help with, then why not do it? Yeah. You you, you mentioned social anxiety and you, you talk about that more of the special than in the past. And, and, you know, it's interesting doing research on you in order, right? You In the past, you'd be really like, I started doing stand-up because I couldn't afford therapy after yes. my mom died. and And now you can't afford therapy and you mm-hmm. do talk about going yeah, to oh, it yeah. so you don't need stand-up to fulfill that role and it and i imagine stand-up uh failed in its ability to just be therapy mm-hmm. um so can you talk about that that evolution of a little bit about what stand-up was but more about once you realized if stand-up isn't going to be my therapy it, what am i using it for and what can i use it for um 
especially as it relates to talking about the things that, you know, that are involved in that. Well, to me, actually, stand-up did actually work out as a form of therapy. You know, well, for me, it was just, you know, what it was is that going through such a big loss with my mother, who was, like, the most important woman, person in my life ever, like, I... I talked about my family and I talked about her, but it was hard. It was really hard. Like the first special I had, lower classy, the last joke, uh, I shot it in what, 2016. That joke happened, all of that happened in 2003. Mm -hmm. Took me 13 years to actually get to that joke, you know, but... Stand up helped therapeutically because it allowed me to talk about my mom and have people laugh at it and to laugh at her. And it really made her, it made me appreciate the moments I had with her a little different, you know, mm -hmm. because I felt like it was still connected. And again, the audience would tell me, oh, my mom is just like that. My grandmother's just like that. And it was just kind of like, it was a nice sympathy and connection that I think mm -hmm. uh, I didn't think I was going to get. <laughs> yeah. um, thing is, though, is that therapy is expensive, right? And in 2008, I went to therapy. I was very depressed. And I didn't know I was depressed. But I was seeing a therapist that was seeing me on a sliding scale. And I was so broke. But the last session I could afford was the session that she told me that I suffered from depression. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't go back to yeah, discover yeah. why. <laughs> so that was 2008. <laughs> then I got the show in 2014. And I got health insurance. And I didn't know what to do with the insurance. Like, I didn't know how it worked. Nothing. Like, it was just kind of like this whole new ball game. And uh, my show got canceled in 2015. 2016, um, I don't want to spoil it, but things <laughs> happened in this country that really affected me. I fell into a deep depression and my friend Steve was the one that helped me decide that I needed to go to therapy. And it was this thing where I thought, I really forgot about therapy Yeah. at that point. And then I had this moment where I'm like, wait a minute, I can afford therapy. And I went to a therapist, then I went to a psychiatrist, I got diagnosed with like social anxiety and severe depression. And it was weird because I never shunned it. Mm. I never thought that, it, you know, I, I never thought anything negative about it. I just didn't have access to it. And once I had access to it, changed my life. <laughs> Like, changed my life so much that the first thing I thought, I was so angry at how I had to get a TV show on the air to have money to take care of my mental health, you know, and how that is just a sign of what the problems are in this country, you know, that it's just like, you had to get a TV show. I had to win the lottery. 
to go and like get medication and get help for something that changed my life in such an insanely like wild way that I 10 years ago, six years ago, I could never have imagined feeling the way that I do now. And that's why. And I know like going through that, I think about it and I think how many people out there don't struggle with that? How many people don't have that, you know, that that experience? And for me, being on that side where I am taking care of myself, it makes me think I want other people to know that they can. Mm. Even, you know, and that's when I start thinking, well, how can they take care of themselves, right? So then you you start thinking there's so many people that don't even know that there's outlets, there's programs available because some people are so poor they don't have the internet. So we need to talk about that. So it's like this domino effect of all of this stuff that happens to me personally that I'm like, I have to talk about this because yeah. I don't want anybody else to talk about it. If I want to talk about it, why don't I talk about it? Yes, you, you you know you dedicate a lot of your work to your your mother. The specials I, I like looking at the dedications of specials because some comedians don't do it, and you're like, this is dedicated to your mother. You talk about how the show was, and when when thinking about you, I was thinking about the idea of dreams, both aspirations and the American dream, and how your mother, when you first told her that you wanted to pursue these things, she was sort of against it and she pushed back upon it. Um, and it seemingly had a very hard time with the idea of you pursuing your dreams. And so now, you know, we're it's like about 15 years later um, of you you um, starting stand-up or so, right? It's about mm-hmm. 15 years. How do you think about your success as it relates to that? Are you able to think about what she would think about your success? You know, I, I, that's the thing of like when I'm reading your book or just think it's like I, that's the, the answer to a question that I, I, I as a listener was like really trying to figure out. How do you think about it? Um, you know, it's hard. My mom, my mom couldn't understand what I was trying to do. But, you know, it's funny. My mom wanted to be a singer. She grew up in a village in Mexico with like no electricity, no running water, nothing. So like so extremely poor. Like we grew up squatting in an abandoned diner and my mom's like, oh, we're moving up. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's my mom, right? So like her family mocked her and like made fun of her and said, what are you doing, stupid? You can't sing. Like we can't even eat, you know? So it's this thing where I think that a lot of times that idea stuck in her head. It's like, hey – you're poor. And if you're poor, you can't do all this stuff. So when I told her that, again, she's like, we're poor. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Like, you know, that's why I always say, and maybe you saw this, but I used to, I use this all the time. My mom used to always tell me, uh, you got to cut hair because even <laughs> in a recession, people's hair grows. My mom didn't like, didn't want me dating. But if she, we ever went out and she saw a guy in a suit, she's like, he's successful. And then I'm like, or a defendant, like, it could be so many options, mom. But my mom accepted that I wanted to do something different. I will say that my family, some of my family, referred to me as a black sheep. You know, there were times where like, 
I think my sister told her kids once, like, don't be like Cristela. Like, don't do it. You know, like like I was out doing like hardcore drugs and just going yeah, on yeah, benders, yeah. you know, it's like I want to I want to perform like, you know, what I mean? like you know, so. Um, I think in the most sincerest way. I don't think my mom would have understood it, but I think she would have been so happy that I was happy. And that's, like, such a big thing. Yeah. I think that, like, she would have been so happy that her daughter was happy doing what she wanted to do. Because that's a big luxury in my family. Um, the One of the things I always think about you doing stand-up is that you smile. Um, a lot of comedians don't smile. Um, it's a... It, I don't know who told comedians not to smile, but somewhere <laughs> along the way, they're like, you should look like you're not having fun. I mean, I know what it's I, like. I can no, see I how it. yes. I can see how it started, but it is a thing of like beyond even done. Like, there's one thing where like comedians don't aren't supposed to laugh at their jokes, and I do think comedians are doing that more. But smiling is still so. We talked about it a little bit the sort of like there's the joy of your stand-up there's sort of like a childlike wonder even when you're talking about thinking about writing this joke it is like so much there's like a playfulness to even you and yourself um where does that come from how you know how do you maintain that even when you're talking about things that are sort of darker what why is that important for you um and and you know why is it a sort of a guiding principle for you you know it's funny uh after the conan set there were so many people that said that I had had like one of the best sets on Conan like ever in a long time. Mm. It was like, and I always told them the same thing. I was very happy to be there. It had taken me 10 years to get a late night spot. And I know that for some, it takes a long time, you know, longer or they don't get it. I was very happy to be there. And I remember thinking, I'm behind the curtain, about to go up on stage, and I keep thinking, I want this audience to know how happy I am. Like, this is such a big deal for me. And the curtains open, and I come out, and I'm so excited, and they're right there with me because I'm so excited. I really get so excited that I get to do this for a living. Mm -hmm. Aside, you know, like, like Leno, Jay Leno and I talk about how we both love stand-up so much that anything else that we do is, you know, it, it, it's, it's fun, it's cool, whatever, but it's always about stand-up. The fact that I can do it, I can't help but smile. But also... I do use it as a trick at times, sure. because you can't preach to people and you can't come off condescending if you're trying to teach people awkward truths that they don't want to hear. But when you smile, man, it's easier for them to learn. Like, you know, like I can do a joke about like, what is it for my first special? Like the good old days. Well, when were they? Right. Like. <laughs> 
when were these good old days? Like, if they were so good, why don't you really see a lot of black people doing Civil War reenactments, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you talk about historical facts, but you do it with a smile. Yeah, yeah. And man, it's certainly easier for people to, like, laugh when you're smiling. And then afterwards, they're like, what the hell did she just say? (laughs) (laughs) So it is a little bit of, you know, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> so now it's time for our final segment. It's called the Laughing Round. It's like a lightning round, but because this is a comedy podcast, I call it uh, the Laughing Round. Love it. Um, is there a joke you wish you could steal? A comedian's joke that you saw that you're like, I wish I had that. I wish oh. this was another dimension where everything was exactly the same, but that joke was now something that I could tell and no one would be the wiser. Patrice O'Neill, elephant in the room. The whole thing. The the first part where he talks about how like they don't go looking for black people when they're missing. <laughs> that whole chunk, it's like the first seven minutes or so. It's like genius, genius. It's just because had me dying and so much truth that they're like you know like <laughs> I think towards the end he talks about how like like if you go out into the ocean like you gotta have like a little white baby attached to you so that if you go missing they go find you. <laughs> it's so brilliant because it's so true it was so it's so true like i I, I die every time i i have that special i see that special so much because it's one of my favorite specials Mm -hmm. and i love that bit still kills me it's a great choice um (laughs) comedians have a hard time laughing uh most comedians do comedians famously laugh by saying that's funny yeah uh what was the last time comedy made you laugh oh all the time you know i i have to say uh you know, man, a lot. Last special that I saw in its entirety was uh, Wanda Sykes' latest one. Mm-hmm. And that Wanda's hilarious. Like, I'm the person, I laugh. I just can't help but laugh. Yeah. I'm a big laugher, you know what I mean? So um, I comedy makes me laugh all the time. If I say something's funny, then I probably don't think it's funny. <laughs> Um, do you have a short story of an interaction with a legendary comedian living or dead that you'd like to share with us or you, you feel comfortable sharing with us? Sure. Or if it's gossipy and bad, you can tell the story without saying who it's about. <laughs> That's the new disclaimer. Oh, I love that disclaimer because then because somebody you know, somebody did it. <laughs> so often the first story people have is bad and i'm like oh that's the story we want to hear but it calls me a nice story about a person you want to admit let me see i'm trying to think man these questions are so good they're so good um uh, let's see you know here's a short story and it was actually and it's actually about jay leno because i hated I hate it that I couldn't do... Look, I was a kid when Johnny Carson retired, right? Yeah. And for years, I wanted to be on The Tonight Show, and I couldn't get on The Tonight Show. And I remember I was doing uh, Comedy Magic, Hermosa Beach. Uh, the owner uh, asks if I want to open for Leno. And it's the first... I've never met him. And uh, I'm like, sure, I'll do it. And I go, and we talk. And he sees my set, and he asks me how come you never did the tonight show? And I was like, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> and it was like this thing, like, cause I had that. Yeah. As like a chip for so long. Cause I'm like, I want the tonight show. Cause that was like 
the iconic yeah, show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, it's either that or Letterman, right? Yeah. And I ended up doing panel on Letterman, like on one of his last shows. So I was like, closest I'm going to get. Yeah. Love it. Letterman kissed my hand. I have a picture of like Letterman kissing my hand. I'm like, I'm done. And uh, he was like, we should have had you on. And that? That we should have had you on? That, like, if I could put that on my tombstone, <laughs> we should have had you on The Tonight Show. <laughs> it was, like, such a redemption. You know, like, when you, when you, like, maybe break up with someone or something like that, and then, like, you end up Googling them, like, Facebooking them, like, decades later, you're like, I'm doing better than them. That's how it felt. <laughs> Perfect. Um, do you have advice for an aspiring comedy maker of any sort? Uh, be true to yourself and don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it. And also know that a lifelong dream takes a lifetime. It's You never get to the end of it. Every All parts of it. Mm. The failures, the successes, it's all part of the dream. So don't try to do it unless you know that you're not doing it for money or fame. Because if you're doing that, it's so vague that you don't know how much money is enough, how much fame is enough. You got to do it because you really love it. And trust your gut. You want to do it for a reason. So if you think it's funny, it's funny. Um, I wrote down lifelong dream takes a lifetime. I've never heard that before. That's really yeah. good. <laughs> um, this is the last one. Do you have a joke that you wrote you thought was so funny? You, you maybe performed it a couple times or something and it never works, but you'll go to your grave being like, I was right, they were wrong. This is hilarious. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. Ah, 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 ah. Usually I just bury them. <laughs> I hold funerals for all of them. Oh, man. It was a joke. Man, I'm going to bring it back. I think it's a joke about how uh, we're... Uh, how as a country we're nicer to uh, aliens from outer space instead of other people. Uh, like we welcome all like E.T. We're just like, oh, my God, everybody. He's adorable. Juan, get out of my face. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's really good. <laughs> I think that at the time when I was trying to do it, because this was years ago, I don't think we were I don't think we were ready. But you know what? Now I'm going to bring it back. That's so good. I'm now. Th- it's just like, of course, I can't believe yes anyway uh great i'm happy that this was a reminder to do that joke that, uh, I, I love it you know i love it that, thank you actually for because i wouldn't have thought about it otherwise perfect <laughs> this has been thank you so much it's been so great i really appreciate it <laughs> that's it for another episode of good one you can watch lower classy and middle classy on netflix you can buy or stream some of the hits wherever you get music. Follow Christella on social media at Christella9. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. Grad Mishrikishin did our theme song. Rate review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Box Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday. Have a good one. Welcome to Good One. 
too bad talking them jokes. Mm, son. Hey, 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 good one. It's a good one. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com. <laughs> 